goes technology oh we're recording right so welcome everyone um so nice people are still showing up um you know i've been trying to get spirit rock to allow me to come out and teach live and uh i even got kind of mean to them about the whole thing but it didn't work those buddhists they're too equanimous to be bothered by meanness um but even if i do start teaching uh, in person uh, i will uh, make it hybrid so that people who are not in the area can continue to come um so uh, I mentioned that I am uh, on the East Coast so much. I'm up a little later, and it's a little, little tricky for me to teach at this time of night. It's not my best time in terms of being coherent. And as some of you know, I'm not all that coherent, even the best in the best of times. So <laughs> we're uh, just going to make the best of it. But... Um, what I would like to do is uh, start with a 20-minute uh, meditation, and um, and then I actually have a the I'm going to talk about meditation tonight. Uh, so so if you are ready or not, we will sit. And so taking uh, you know a posture that is supportive of your own clarity and calm you can close your eyes or just lower your gaze and turning the attention inward to the felt physical experience and the felt emotional or mental experience. Letting the body settle and soften Releasing the shoulders. Relaxing the jaw. Softening the belly. So there's a sense of, first of all, just settling the body, stillness, and with the sense of releasing any tension, stress. Connecting with the breath. Feeling the breath moving in the body. Just the chest and belly expanding and contracting. The air 
entering, leaving the body. And the other subtle ways that the body moves with the breath. Find the, the back, the ribs expanding and contracting. Each breath has its own rhythm, its own length. Sometimes deep, sometimes shallow. And so we begin with this simple exercise of guiding the attention to a sense experience, the touch of breath, the movement of breath. This is simply a way of gathering the attention, trying to move beyond the ordinary streams of thought step perhaps we could say beneath them find a, a quieter place within this then begins to give us a different perspective on what arises Start to see thoughts not so much as personal stories, but as just words and images appearing in the mind. Not necessarily bearing information or facts but reactive and conditioned patterns. You feel the underlying moods that influence how we feel, how we think. Start to see that they too are simply conditioned streams, come and go, not connected to a self. And we Tune into the body, to the sensations that are often ignored, the underlying sensations that bring us a, a different sense of embodiment. Allow us to see the body as more of a field of energy than a solid thing. All the sensations, feelings just rolling through, moving through consciousness.
at first just just tuning into the breath, just feeling the breath can be challenging. Certainly holding the attention to the breath for any period of time can be difficult. Such a common behavior, something we're doing constantly that to actually bring attention to it can feel somewhat unnatural. And then the, the stream of thoughts can be so compelling, can be overwhelming, carrying us away, swamping us. It'd be hard to see through those walls of words and images to get to something as simple as the breath or awareness of the body, or awareness of a feeling. So this practice takes patience, persistence. You might find yourself comparing your experience in meditation to some ideal you have in your mind, thinking that you're not living up to that. But if we look just honestly and clearly, we see that that's just another thought without any real basis in fact, just an idea. So we let it go and come back to the breath.
I presume you guys could hear that because I see you moving. <laughs> I thought it my, my earbuds and I couldn't really hear the bells. So um, again, nice to see people. Um, welcome to Spirit Rock. Um, yeah, the Buddhist, the, what do we call this? Dharma and recovery. <laughs> um, we've been doing this class for many years, and of course we've been online since 2020. So um, appreciate that Spirit Rock still supports us, um, our little community. And um, I did want to mention uh, a couple of uh, events I have coming up. Um, on uh, September 30th, these are in-person events, uh, but I think they'll both be hybrid. Um, 30th, I'm going to be at um, the Berkeley Buddhist Monastery. Uh, this is on my website, and Ileana can put the uh, link to my web page um, in there, or I can do it. And uh, that day is going to be um, on the Anapanasati Sutta um, and uh, the mindfulness of breathing and then October 7th I'm going to be uh, down in Palo Alto Redwood City uh, at the Sati Center which is the same as the Insight Meditation Center of Redwood City and there I'm going to do a day on living kindness uh, by one of my books uh, which is kind of an exploration of the Brahma-viharas from a slightly different angle. So I'm, I'm trying to get out and do more in-person events. I, I've done a, a bunch of things on the East Coast over the past month. Went everywhere from Rhinebeck, New York, to Ithaca, to Philadelphia, and Maplewood, New Jersey, and Asheville, and... Uh, and I'm in D.C., so it's been really nice. So, um, I've been I've been doing some writing and thinking about just writing on the topic of meditation, just kind of getting back to something very trying to very essential to what I teach and what I do, and also to that element of the twelve steps. That's that's. Um, suggest that we we practice meditation so uh, I've been writing about my own I started first just writing about sort of the history of my own experience with meditation and and it's the sort of thing that you know is interesting right, to go back over something we've been doing for a long time and see how it developed and and first of all sort of for me seeing how uh, the magical ideas I had and, and I was just reading over it before, and I just this is just something I have kind of a first draft of a couple thousand words, and I noticed how often I used the word magical, <laughs> and it like really spoke to what I wanted and expected out of meditation when I came to it, and I th and I think that's common. I don't think I'm that unusual in that regard. Um, I, but I, and also you know I. I first heard about meditation really because of the Beatles and the Maharishi, their their guru, and and that was a whole kind of movement right in the late '60s. Some of you uh, were around for that, and probably all of you have heard of it. And you know, it was part of a whole cultural movement, um, so that meditation at that time was kind of like a countercultural thing to do that was somehow also kind of tied up with with getting high or tripping or something and so so it really uh, you know we started out with a lot of uh, misconceptions at least I did about what it, what it meant and for myself you know I really wasn't able to even get the discipline to to start meditating for for many years after that even though I sort of like wanted to, you know, how addicts are, we're like, you know, I, I always meant to 
do that. You know, one of these days I'll do it. You know, just been really busy. You know, uh, and, and that list of excuses, right? But finally, I did start to practice. I learned transcendental meditation, where they just give you a mantra. And, but I didn't. I, I was very disciplined about doing it. Like I, I did it physically, but but I wasn't really engaging in it. I didn't understand how to engage in it. And besides that, I kept taking drugs and drinking, and and it turns out that those things don't actually help your meditation. You know, they, they definitely held me back. And when I when I encountered Buddhism, I still wasn't sober, but um, I do think that I started to get sort of a more realistic idea about meditation. When you know, because one on my first retreat in this. In the, fall of 1980 and it was so difficult that it had to change kind of finally kind of break down my illusions about what meditation was it wasn't that I figured out what it was but I it became clear that it wasn't going to be this fix that it was going to be a lot bigger project than that and it wasn't going to be like, oh, you're just going to go on a retreat and then you're going to have some, uh, you know, enlightenment experience or everything's going to change. So, but, you know, as I think probably many of you feel, when I encountered the, the Buddhist teachings on mindfulness and loving kindness, on impermanence, on compassion, everything made so much sense it was so practical it felt like it was really speaking to my life and to life and 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 so that then the idea of meditation became it it became much more than that it wasn't just to meditate right it was it was to you know take refuge or to to um, see this practice as part of a a way of living in the world and understanding the world. So the idea of insight, right? So we call what we do insight meditation. So this, these things started to, I started to get inklings, but I still didn't really have a full picture. And, and, and I dare say, maybe even today, I don't know if I have a full picture, but, but I feel I have a, a pretty good, pretty interesting picture. So, you know, I, I kind of, I was thinking about what are the, what are the questions people have about meditation or about what it is, and further, what are the ways that I encounter people being misunderstanding the practice or, or having a limited idea of it. And part of it is that kind of magical thinking, uh, believing that somebody's going to show you some like, you know, trick, like some like hypnosis, right? Something that's going to like put you into this state, and it's going to be like, ah, oh, awesome, you know, and and then it, you're going to get into that state, and then you're. You know, and in some way, I think many people come to meditation hoping that it's going to turn them into a different person. You know, this is like the first like flaw, right, of our thinking. Like, if I could just be somebody else, <laughs> you know, then, uh, and, and I don't know what, you know, we we just we kind of latch onto these words. It's like the way people latch onto the word God, and we just sort of blow it up into something. So, you know, we we learn to uh, we learn mindfulness and learn to do a mindfulness meditation. And the meditation is like sit down, start to feel your breath, and if your mind wanders, 
when your mind wanders, when you notice it's wandered, bring it back to the breath. And oftentimes that's most of what people learn in the beginning. So the message that sometimes is conveyed by that instruction is meditating is paying attention to your breath. And you, sh and you shouldn't be thinking. And neither of those things is meditating. Those are, uh, you know, paying attention to the breath is a, a way of starting to meditate. Yeah. And letting go of thoughts is a way that you can be more attentive to the breath and to the present moment. But the uh, first of all, the purpose of meditation is not to stop thinking. You know, when we look at the, the, the story of the Buddha, we realize, like, if he had all these teachings, he must have been thinking to get them. <laughs> they didn't just come, they didn't just, like, blossom out of his brain. Like, he, had, he took a lot of time for reflection. So we realize thinking itself isn't the problem. It's actually the type of thinking, really, and our relationship to the thinking. But I'll, I'll probably come back to that. But uh, I don't like to make predictions about what I'm going to say, so I just say probably. So, so we get into we can get into this position. Okay, we'll come back the breath, but you know the breath and the thoughts and just back and forth, you know. But after a while, people will say, "Well, why am I doing this?" I mean, this is a really good question. Like, why am I? Why am I trying to just pay attention to my breath? What's the point of that? And it's not so that you get good at breathing. And it's not so that you are really good at feeling your breath. It's really only a foundational element of developing the more significant aspect of meditation. And that is not to say that there isn't some value in simply doing that. So something like mindfulness-based stress reduction, when you mindfulness-based stress reduction, its goal apparently by its name is to reduce stress. And you can do that without developing a lot of insight or wisdom, you know, just through following the breath and relaxing, learning to relax the body and to let go of stressful thoughts. That will reduce your stress and you won't necessarily gain any wisdom through it, although you might, <laughs> um, depending upon sort of how you approach it. And I have to say that I, in my early practice, was pretty thick in terms of like, having any self-created insights. Everything that I came to understand in my early practice was something that people told me. I didn't, I didn't figure much out on my own. But I know some people do. Some people take a simple, the simple practice and they, and they kind of uh, get it. They get kind of where it's trying to get, take us. I, I was not one of those people. So I thought that, um, well, a, a couple of things I'm going to read from. Uh, let me start with uh, the Anapanasati Sutta. So this is, um, I have lots of copies of it. <laughs> I practically have the darn thing memorized, so I shouldn't read copies. But in any case, um, this is one of the basic and key Buddhist instructions on meditation. And so, anapanasati means being mindful of breathing, mindful of the breath. And the Buddha, in this teaching, 
kind of tells us how to meditate. And I think from parts of it, we can infer why, why we are meditating, at least some of the reasons. So it starts out by, there are four sections to it, and each of them has four line, four instructions in it. And, and they follow the, the four foundations of mindfulness. So they, they address body, feelings, mind, and what's called phenomena, or what I call insight. So the beginning of the sutta is just being aware of your breath. Not surprisingly, since that's the title of the sutta. But it quickly starts to combine awareness of the breath with awareness of other things. So we have awareness of the breath and awareness of the body. And then we have awareness of the breath and calming the body. Now that's all very familiar, and that's kind of what I was describing uh, as as kind of what mindfulness-based stress reduction is. So we can see, okay, one of the purposes of meditation, I would say, is to calm the body, is to become aware of the body and calm the body. And I think we can all agree that that's, that's one of the purposes, it's one of the reasons we all meditate. Then the second section starts to then go into feeling, breathing and feeling pleasant feelings, rapture and a joyful, uplifting feelings. And then what's called breathing and experiencing the mental formation. So starting to become aware of the of our mind states or the or the arising of mind states almost before we really even think but kind of starting to see how thoughts come together and then trying to calm that so tranquilizing the mental formation or calming the mental formation so we can see now okay the first section was about i need to learn how to get comfortable in my body and calm my body and then i need to get comfortable with my feelings and calm my feelings well that sounds pretty good and those are really important things that we can all benefit from and indeed it takes quite a bit of practice just to do those things they don't come like instantly so then the third section says we we breathe in we breathe and we're aware of our mind and we're gladdening our mind so this is this sutta particularly has a very uplifting tone to it gladdening our mind, concentrating our mind, and then what's called liberating the mind, which which just means that, you know, we're sitting, we're aware of the mind, but now we're letting go of the hindrances, we're letting go of the stuff that gets in the way of just being present. So, now, what we've seen is that, besides calming the body, and settling the feelings, we're really concentrating the mind the mind the mind is getting very still at this point if we're doing this in a progression which you know a lot of the teachers i've explored on this topic don't really think of this necessarily as a progression but so so these first three sections of the sutta that are telling us how to meditate are really about calming body feelings and mind and getting very focused so so these are some of the things the Buddha obviously thinks are valuable to do and to cultivate. But the fourth section takes a whole other twist, and this is why I call it the section on insight, because it asks us to pay attention to impermanence and the what's called fading away, so the calming of passion that or crave, craving craving. Uh, and then letting things get very still. And then finally, the last step is being aware of the breath as we let go. And we let go on a very deep level. So now we can see that this project of cultivating concentration has a more of a purpose than just becoming concentrated. It has the purpose of helping us to see impermanence very clearly and to let go of things we cling to because as we know from the core Buddhist teaching it is clinging that causes suffering so if we're going to be free from suffering then we're going to have to learn to let go 
and that all of this project of calming and, and letting go and concentrating is really perhaps at least according to this sutta pointed towards seeing impermanence and letting go so those two things are actually bound together because when we see impermanence we see that we can't hold on so naturally if we really if we really see impermanence we let go so those things are tied together so so now I think we're getting a bigger picture of what meditation is it has this function of being aware aware of our body calming our body aware of our feelings and calming our feelings aware of our mind and concentrating our mind clearing our mind and then aware of impermanence and we can say of impermanence of suffering of the way we cause we let go of, of the way we create and let go of suffering and then of self or not self to so these insights that allow us to to really let go of the things that cause suffering so we can see that that's a lot more than just oh learn to pay attention to your breath but until we learn to pay attention to our breath we can't really do this stuff we can we can think about it and we can sort of understand it in an intellectual way but for it to have a really transformative impact on our mind and our heart it has to be taken to this deep level now I thought it would be interesting just uh, to add another reflection because I don't want to um, there may be a couple more reflections but I don't want to even suggest that even this hugely important sutta is telling us everything there is to know about meditation and gives us all the answers because I think the more that we keep an open mind about what meditation is the more benefit we can get from it because the what happens when we try to meditate is that our mind kind of does its own thing I'm gonna give you a little bit of West Nisker to close tonight but I'll give you a very uh, important teaching from Wes uh, before before we even get to that which is that as he put it your mind has a mind of its own uh, which is typical of his wit and wisdom <laughs> because that's when we try to meditate we realize my mind doesn't do what I want it to do so I might decide oh I'm gonna do the Anapanasati practice and my mind takes a left turn and says no I'm not doing that <laughs> I'm doing that something else so another practice that in another teaching that gives us a very different kind of look into meditation is the discourse on loving-kindness that the, the metta sutta here the Buddha introduces the idea of loving-kindness as a meditation but he first starts by laying a foundation in our behavior and our attitude so asks us to be uh, straightforward and gentle in speech humble contented unburdened with duties not proud or demanding frugal so this is it turns out we're going back even further than than oh paying attention to the breath we're starting from an even simpler place which is how do I live and how do I behave so we start to see that our meditation doesn't really exist in a separate realm from our daily lives it doesn't exist in a different world from how we live and our lifestyle and the way we view ourselves and the way we view the world but then he starts to give some instructions and these aren't given in the same way as the Anapanasati where it's telling you to breathe and pay attention to something he says 
wishing in gladness that he says this is what we should do we should wish that in gladness and in safety may all beings be at ease so this is very different from paying attention to the breath or paying attention to impor- permanence here we're doing something uh, using the imagination uh, by wishing all beings you know be can be safe and be at ease and we're trying to create something we're trying to to give something and it's you know I mean there's different ways you can think about this but in a very sort of materialistic view all we're doing is we're thinking loving thoughts now in a spiritual sense we could say we're radiating something and the, and that the buddha uses that word later in in the sutta so it brings to it brings out the question are is something really happening are we actually sending something out or is it just are we just using our imagination and that's not a a question i can answer but as the sutta goes on he then says uh, let none deceive another or despise any being in any state let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another so uh, here we are working on the level of aversion the Buddha is saying look at yourself if there's hatred and anger within you you need to let go of that so this again is very different from just trying to concentrate the mind it's trying to cultivate so we can think about maybe one way of kind of contrasting these two practices is that the the anapanasati sutta is ultimately about letting go so in the in the right effort we have the one of the aspects of right effort is letting go or called abandoning well here we're doing something else which is cultivating we're trying to grow something within ourselves so this is another aspect of right effort you know we're trying to i mean yes we're trying to let go of anger but we're trying to cultivate love so then he says with a boundless heart one should cherish all living beings radiating kindness over the entire world and here he gets very specific about what that means he says spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths outwards and unbounded freed from hatred and ill will so this is something that we see throughout the suttas when the buddha talks about loving kindness and compassion he talks about it in this directional way <laughs> which is again very interesting because he's talking about this sort of flowery and you know um, just sort of very emotional and emotive uh expression of love and compassion but he's doing it as if he had a compass in his hand oh you do that send some out that way and send some over this way and some over that way oh and don't forget to send some down there too it's like it's it's kind of odd that it's got this this geographic sense to it almost it's it's spatial which is another good way to think about it because this brings in a very different meditative attitude from i'm going to be aware of my breath and i'm going to be aware of letting go of you know uh tension in my body i'm going to feel my feelings that's very much you know in the body noticing the thoughts but radiating kindness over the entire world is starting to think about your mind as this spatial uh thing <laughs> I know I'm not sure I can uh, and, and uh, not many safe words to to use but that your mind is actually beyond your body so it's, again very different from the anapanasati now your mind is is encompassing vast space and and uh, indeed in the other suttas he says exalted immeasurable you know boundless So, uh, you know, this sutta, the metta sutta, goes on uh, 
saying one should sustain this recollection. One should try to maintain this quality of loving kindness. Not holding to fixed views. The pure-hearted one having clarity of vision. Being freed from all sense desires is not born again into this world. So again, we see clarity of vision, right? We're talking about insight, clarity. So this, we can then maybe start to make an argument that the the bigger point of meditation is to develop clarity that allows us to see things, to have insight, and and this is metaphorical seeing. This is you know, spiritual seeing and it, it is the, what reveals wisdom to us that so this takes us back to seeing impermanence and letting go so we can see then that meditation has this you know this wide range of possibilities and opportunities and challenges it can function on this very simple level of just, oh, learn to calm your body, learn to take a breath and relax. And then it can move through these progressively subtle and and deep uh, experiences of, of tuning into the, the felt experience, one of the things that I teach a great deal and focus on a great deal, of tuning into the mind and seeing the contents of the mind and seeing our relationship to that of seeing the, how suffering rises in the mind and learning to let go on that level of seeing the constant change of reality and learning to let go seeing the way we cling to an idea of self and learning to let go seeing the way that anger and hatred arise in the heart and learning to let go trying to cultivate this quality of love and compassion for all beings. And so we've gone from this simple exercise, we could call it, like, you know, a relaxation or stress reduction exercise, into this uh, really realm of, of very high spiritual teachings of, of enlightenment. So to say, why are we meditating? Well, it really becomes, to some extent, a very personal question. You're me- why are you meditating? Right? But I do think that it's wise to explore somewhat what the potentials are so that we don't limit ourselves. And this can be the problem with something like a, you know, a secular mindfulness that doesn't sort of bring in the broader Buddhist teachings, that we're sort of not giving people the opportunity to... Uh, you know, realize the full potential for meditation. You know, um, one of the teachings that I find very helpful when we get attached to a form, because this is the other piece that that becomes a, a problem for people, I'm going to read something from Stephen Batchelor, but um, I, I, first I want to say that um, when we're given this instruction to pay attention to the breath and let go of our thoughts, we can, as I suggested, start to think that that's the whole of the practice. And, and think that the form itself, that getting good at the form is what we're trying to do. And this can do, this can happen with any form. Like, and, and all the different Buddhist traditions have, have their own forms. You know, you go to Tibetan Buddhism particularly has very elaborate forms of visualization. You have, you know, Zen that has much simpler form, but it's very kind of strict. You have like a Burmese approach to Vipassana where you're uh, noting every single movement of mind. You have things like Thich Nhat Hanh's gatas. And, and 
uh, people get very attached to the forms and start and there can be this sort of well, my forms better than your form kind of thing and and uh, and losing the thread on on what the point is and and like I've I've gotten really good at paying attention to my breath well that's just great because now you what you breathe you breathe better I don't know so here's what um, Stephen Batchelor says in his early book called The Faith to Doubt this is a section called Meditative Attitude meditation is widely perceived as a kind of specialized activity it is regarded as a means of calming and concentrating the mind as a panacea for anxiety agitation and tension symptomatic of the prevailing obsession with calculation it is considered as a technique as a systematic application of a preconceived series of ideas but although guidelines can be given ultimately there is no how to meditation certain exercises and skills may be more conducive to meditation than others but in the end a meditative attitude is not something we can ever acquire a meditative attitude is nothing new or alien it dwells deeply within us all it is not something that we have to bring from elsewhere and introduce into our lives it is already present in an embryonic and sporadic way meditation does not add anything to life it recovers what has been lost meditation and mystery are inseparable the practice of meditation is a process of attrition the mind has a seemingly infinite capacity for chatter and there is no instant or easy cure for this proliferation of thoughts and emotions only the patient continuity of meditation what the Chinese master Su Yun called a long enduring mind can finally wear it down this process is echoed in Lao Tzu's words what is of all things most yielding can overwhelm that which is of all things most hard water is that which is most yielding rock that which is most hard the patient unhurried yet continuous flow of water on rock can wear down even the most resistant and stubborn of stubborn rock so you know here we're being introduced to this idea that oh these meditation instructions they're not really the point <laughs> so uh, you know it's it really raises the bar and you know the challenge I think for us to to not get attached too much to to form and to realize we're trying to gather ourselves into a space where there is clarity enough to see the truth to see that and to gain from that and to gain insight from that so uh, I'm going to open it up uh, in a moment to um, people's comments but I want to just to finish up I want to read something from my dear beloved late friend and teacher Wes Nisker so Wes uh, many of you knew him or knew of him he was uh, originally in the Bay Area known as a as a radio personality who did this alternative news uh, but he became a meditation teacher later on uh, in the 90s and then that was when I really became close with him and he he uh, started me out as a meditation teacher by off, uh, asking me to sit in for him in his class in Berkeley in 1996 so he had a critical role in my own development as a teacher and I, I sat with him a great deal in those years and learned a great deal about teaching and, and the Dharma and I will also add that he's the person who introduced me to the agent who sold my book One Breath at a Time so he also besides uh, 
you know, starting my meditation teaching career. He started my writing career. Uh, but he was much more than that to me. It, it, just really a dear, special friend who, who I, I miss a great deal. I'm going to read... Uh, so uh, actually, and I can give you a, a link to this. This is um, his poem called Why I Meditate. And it appeared in the Inquiring Mind magazine, which of which he was the co-editor. Uh, and uh, the magazine is all online now. It, it went, it, they stopped uh, producing it several years ago, but there's, you know, 25 or 30 years worth of Dharma that never goes out of date. <laughs> it's not like yesterday's paper, you know. The, the Dharma that's in those, uh, that magazine is still very much alive. So here's uh, Why I Meditate After Allen Ginsberg by Wes Nisker. I meditate because I suffer. I suffer, therefore I am. I am, therefore I meditate. I meditate because there are so many other things to do. I meditate because when I was younger, it was all the rage. I meditate because Siddhartha Gautama, Bodhidharma, Marco Polo, the British Raj, Carl Jung, Alan Watts, Jack Kerouac, Alfred E. Newman, et al., I meditate because evolution gave me a big brain, but it didn't come with an instruction manual. I meditate because I have all the information I need. I meditate because the largest colonies of living beings, the coral reefs, are dying. I meditate because I want to teach deep time where the history of humanity can be seen as just an evolutionary adjustment period. I meditate because life is too short and sitting slows it down. I meditate because life is too long and I need an occasional break. I meditate because I want to experience the world as Rumi did or Walt Whitman or as Mary Oliver does. I meditate because now I know that enlightenment doesn't exist so I can relax. I meditate because of the Dalai Lama's laugh. I meditate because there are too many advertisements in that my head and I'm erasing all but the very best of them. I meditate because the physicists say there may be 11 dimensions to reality and I want to get a peek into a few more of them. I meditate because I've discovered that my mind is a great toy and I like to play with it. I meditate because I want to remember that I'm perfectly human. Sometimes I meditate because my heart is breaking. Sometimes I meditate so that my heart will break. I meditate because a Vedanta master once told me that in Hindi, my name, Nisker, means non-doer. I meditate because I'm growing old and want to become more comfortable with emptiness. I meditate because I think Robert Thurman was right to call it an evolutionary sport and I want to be on the home team. I meditate because I'm composed of 100 trillion cells and from time to time I need to reassure them that we're all in this together. I meditate because it's such a relief to spend time ignoring myself. I meditate because my country spends more money on weapons than all other nations in the world combined. If I had more courage I'd probably immolate myself. I meditate because I want to discover the fifth Brahma Vihara, the divine abode of all, and then go down in history as a great spiritual adept.
I meditate because I'm building myself a bigger and better perspective and occasionally I need to add a new window. So... Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.